Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental and social justice news and stories from Australia and the world. I'm Jem Rommeld, and this is part two of a two-part series on the contested proposal for deep-sea mining in Papua New Guinea. Solwara 1 is the name of the deep-sea mining project that the Canadian company Nautilus Minerals wants to advance. It's the first deep-sea mine to be granted approval. Years in the making, the new machinery is waiting at Port Moresby, but the sea-dependent communities that ring the Bismarck Sea are leading the resistance. Papua New Guineans have little reason to trust mining companies with an experimental project when land-based mining has already proven to be disastrous. And what's the legal status of this kind of mining? Is is it covered under Papua New Guinean law? Are there um, separate laws that apply to it? Is there any kind of legal protection? What's the f- what's the framework around you know this this process, given that it is so new? So currently, um, this all sits just under their Mining Act and regulation. It's not a specific seabed mining legislation, and this is the problem because this is very different to land-based mining. It's very much out of sight, out of mind. You can't see it. It's down deep. Um, you know, when we have land-based mining and we cut open a mountain, you can't see that. There's a lot of unseen issues, obviously, but you can actually see that destruction. How are we going to monitor and regulate that down in the deep sea in a country that already has so many uh, really terrible disasters, one of the worst environmental disasters around mining, the Octeti mine, which was BHP Billiton. So this is a real deep concern. that This experiment, it's never been done anywhere else in the world. It's been done in the waters of Papua New Guinea um, in a country that doesn't have the capacity to regulate or monitor. So there's no real regulatory frameworks around this. And this is a very key issue for... Um, a lot of Papua New Guineans, um, and they consider it an experiment, and they feel like, for want of a better word, they feel like guinea pigs in this yeah. experiment that has been imposed on them by a company from another country. One of the interesting things is that we do not have a seabed mining act, and yet the government has gone ahead and approved the deep sea uh, mining. Basically, we are used as guinea pigs. This is basically an act of uh, suicide. All right? This is, this is uh, being irresponsible. The population in West Coast, especially in the area that we come from, are so concerned because if we are not part of any uh, of these activities, we also know that we will be the first recipient of any disaster that will become a consequence of the uh, seabed mining. So, therefore, it is very, very critical that uh, because we have been left out on this and because this is going to be the first of its kind, uh, we are not prepared for any seabed mining. In actual fact, the issue here is that the seabed mine must come to a close. Now, I have already actually addressed this issue to the top executive of this nation and even to the top executive of the province. Uh, I basically uh, would say that with this kind of being uh, irresponsible attitude from both the national and the provincial government, the fact uh, lies now between us is that we do not want this seabed. This seabed mining must come to a close. 
That was retired Colonel William Bartley and before him, Natalie Lowry, communications coordinator for the Deep Sea Mining Campaign. Sister Daisy Ann Lisania is my name. I belong to the congregation of the missionary sisters of the most sacred heart of Jesus. And uh, at the moment, I work in the communications office of the Archdiocese of Rabaul, mostly with uh, the radio station. Well, the first time I heard was uh, when Archbishop Francesco Panfilo, the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Rabaul, was when he wrote a very important and a very extensive uh, pastoral letter on your vote is your power and your vote is your children's future. But in it, he challenged the leaders on the Solwara One project. And uh, it was very challenging. And then in the pastoral letter, he also spoke about the impacts that this experimental seabed mining will bring, especially to the livelihood of the people and uh, uh, the impact on the environment, especially the ocean. Yeah, because uh, lots of uh, our people who live along the coast um, get their food from there, especially fish, you know, and then they get also their money from, from uh, the fish that they sell. I would like to ask especially the government of Papua New Guinea because they live up there in the, in the parliament in Port Mosby and uh, they are only concerned about the money and the, the relationship that they have with big companies. But they are not aware of the people, the poor people who will be affected down when, especially during uh, the operation of the experimental seabed mining. So my message to them is please, Come down and listen to the people. Ask them what are their views. Get the answer from them and then make your decisions. They should have a voice. Not only the government's voice, but the people down there who will be the ones to be affected. That was Sister Daisy Luciana, coordinator of the communications office of the Archdiocese of Rabaul in the province of East New Britain. My name is Nenisai Bart. I'm from Kavalo village in Karkar Island in PNG. And um, what do you do in your community? Uh, in my community, I work as a youth to organize activities in church-related activities, take part in whatever ways we want to work with the youth in the community. And uh, have you heard of uh, the new industry, experimental seabed mining? Yes. Uh, I had it uh, almost five years from now. Uh, so uh, I was just hearing people telling me about what really experimental seabed mining is and then I came to know in full story that what experimental seabed mining would really do to our communities and really affect our livelihoods. So that's how I know a bit about experimental seabed mining. And uh, can you tell us what yourself and the youth of Kaka have been doing um, in response to experimental seabed mining? 
Yep. So when I that was way back in 2012, uh, I heard about this experimental seabed mining, and then uh, I say rep got organized with the youths, and we went and set for a training about the uh, different issues. Uh, so interested in experimental seabed mining because we are coastal people, we live along the coastline, most of our livelihoods and food source we get comes from the sea. So uh, with the youth we, we started to campaign against experimental seabed mining. And what are some of the, the concerns you have about experimental seabed mining? Uh, the concerns I have is that if if we do not do anything uh, about this uh, experimental seabed mining and if this uh, project is to be conducted in our seas, we know that it's really going to uh, destroy our sea, uh, everything that we get from the sea and it will really affect our uh, the real lifestyle or way of living along the coastlines because we are the communities residing along the coast. That was Nenesa Ibak, youth leader with the Lutheran Youth Environment Foundation. She is part of the Alliance of the Solwara Warriors, which has been leading the movement to ban deep sea mining for the last six years. A number of communities around the Bismarck Sea are taking legal action requesting access to documents about the proposed mine under Section 51 of the Constitution. The communities taking legal action are arguing that as the PNG government has heavily invested in the project as a shareholder, the citizens have a right to transparency around this risky business, both from the government and Nautilus Minerals. William Bartley. What we have done so far now is we are preparing to go to the Supreme Court, basically because why Papua New Guinea national government has put 15% equity out of that, meaning the government has now legally sanctioned the mining, and yet it has not seen the consequences that is likely to happen. So because there is no secret mining hack in place, and because we see that there are relevant laws that has not been considered, we believe that by taking a um, Supreme Court injunction, we'll have to stop this nonsense. I want to call it nonsense because of the fact that it deals with the livelihood, the survival of the people. The law of uh, uh, precaution address it well. There is no knowledge, there's not enough scientific evidence uh, of the uh, possibilities of seabed mining. I mean, we are not saying stop to the development, but the, uh, the leaders of this nation must take responsible decisions. And if it is not, be able, if it is not able to take responsible decisions, I think the only thing that we can be able to say is stop. Put a complete stop to this seabed mining. And until we are, we are satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that everything is going to be okay, there's no way forward. Stop it. And in the meantime, um, are there hopes to prevent the beginning of exploration um, in the Bismarck Sea at Solwara 1 
and and also as a way of halting the frontier of this form of mining across not just the Bismarck Sea but the whole Pacific yeah, absolutely. And not even just the Pacific. This, as I said, it's international. Nautilus is also um, in the waters of the Azores um, of Portugal. So uh, India is engaged in this. China very much so. Japan has actually already done the first sort of mining of a hydrothermal vent as a sort of test zone. And that's yeah. kind of happened quite quickly in unexpectedly to us who are trying to sort of monitor what's going on out there. Mm. So I guess with Sawada 1, it is the first project to be given a green light to actually start operation, and that's the difference. So for us, it's really important that that is completely stopped before it started because it will send a very, very strong message to the industry and investors in this industry. Um, It's not necessary. We don't need to be mining our deep sea beds. We don't need to be mining more gold. Gold is recyclable. It's not a necessity. Mm. You know, a huge percentage of this goes into jewellery. So we really need to consider why are we actually doing this. Mm. The industry itself is very much pushing. It's a necessity. It's for green technologies. Mm. Um, We don't believe that's true. We need to look at alternatives, and those alternatives in a Western context especially is actually looking at our products and the design of our products from cradle to cradle Mm. um what they sometimes call urban mining so you know actually mining our phones and mining our computers to to but also building those products in a way that they can be taken apart and reused and recycled Mm. so it's interesting actually that um apple came out this year um basically stating uh in their kind of environment sort of future plan um, of a no mining future which was extraordinary we don't really know what that means because I'm sure Apple still is looking at that and how they can make profit but in terms of messaging it it, it very much complements the work we're trying to do which is to say this is not necessary we don't need to be our oceans are under such assault with climate change overfishing pollution we don't need this industry. And this is very much how the local communities in coastal communities in Papua New Guinea feel. These people are frontline to climate change, mm-hmm. to rising sea levels. They are seen every day. They work very hard. They're incredibly resilient in looking at how they can adapt. But to have this industry, this experiment, come into their waters yeah. is something they just don't need. Mm-hmm. And there's no benefit. This is Earth Matters, produced for 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. You're listening now to Natalie Lowry, Communications Coordinator for the Deep Sea Mining Campaign. We firmly believe that Sawara 1 is not economic and that is why they need to have another Sawara and another Sawara and another mm-hmm. Sawara. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sawara 2, we're getting information from local communities concerned about Sawara 2. We're still trying to do the research on that and understand where that's actually at. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's become clearer to us, particularly in the last couple of months, that that really is the agenda of Nautilus. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think there are more and more Papua New Guineans that are now understand, particularly since the machines, which are quite gruesome looking mm. machines, have arrived in PNG, that's really woken a lot of people up. It shocked them, mm. oh, this is really going to happen. So it, there seems to be a lot of voices saying this shouldn't happen, mm. including the head of the UNDP in PNG. He's come out very strongly against it. Mm. Um, so more and more you know, high-level people mm. uh, are, are really backing the voices of 
the people who are really frontline, the coastal mm. communities, in saying this shouldn't happen and, and mm. you know, calling for a ban on seabed mining. Mm. And this has now been echoed in Europe, um, particularly through Seas at Risk, who are a kind of an alliance of, I think, 30 organisations from about eight or nine different countries. In end of last year, they also came out calling for a ban on mm. deep sea mining. Um, so, you know, I guess it's part of our work too is to engage in the international level with other NGOs and organisations working on this issue. Mm. The EU has been a driver of deep sea mining in the Pacific. Okay. And that's part of their kind of future thinking because they don't have access to metals and minerals, mm. um, that this is the way that they can access it is through deep sea mining. The importance of our ocean is we have the knowledge and wisdom and an understanding of our ocean is that we link directly with the nature. That's how we see the ocean because everything we get for food, for sustenance, all comes from the sea. That is how we see the ocean and we are being related to it. Like we see it just like our mother, the sea provides everything we need, food, health, and whatever ways the ocean is to us. And this is our real life because we sustain our living and we depend all on the ocean and the sea and everything that we get comes from. Um, are, there, are there other issues that you're facing here on Kaka Island? Yes, while we were uh, campaigning and doing awareness, educating people about this uh, experimental seabed mining and uh, unexpectedly we just experienced the climate change impacts. Like to me, I, I, I did not really even know what the climate change was, but by walking and I was seeing this uh, along the coastlines. They, they were not really normal like before. Within two years or even a year, but it kept on happening. And we could see that the waves like and the currents that push uh, even overthrows the trees which are along the coastline, even these very strong trees. Uh, which protect uh, land from erosion, but they really overthrow this and it really destroyed our land. It caused big erosions along the coastlines and it really destroyed the living lives of, uh, I mean, the living, the real lifestyle of our people who are living along the coastlines. Uh, this erosion, I mean, the it took nearly most of our land has been washed away by this crossing sea level, I mean sea waves on the beach, shoreline, so, so, so that um, people cannot no longer, more longer live along the coastline. So they have to move inland, find somewhere to... And we don't have enough land to plant food, make gardens and build houses, so it really destroyed our whole lifestyle, I could say. 
So uh, some other things that I have experienced is that um, we we have a certain period of months. Uh, we have seasons where uh, we have rough seas and bad weathers, but when we experienced and observed uh, our climate change was it was really it really changed our lifestyle the way of living and it did made it made it happen that we cannot get like if you want to go fishing like we we will not get the fish we really want because you know this in the sea it got because this, it was really dusty and mucky that we cannot see properly in the sea. So we kept on uh, experiencing this life and it really showed that us that this is the real impacts of climate change. And all our reefs are dying out, being washed and pushed off ashore. So this is how I really experience the impacts of climate change. Nenisa Ibak from the Alliance of the Solwara Warriors. Uh, I would say I'm really interested in this campaigning because when I get this youth organized, like when we talk about all these issues, related issues, it's like we are seeing our own life being destroyed and the environment and it's so sad. Sometimes we don't talk, we just sit with tears falling our eyes. Because this is our life. We are talking about life. If we lose our land, our seas, our ocean, and everything, it's just the same as losing our lives. This is an assault on our oceans, whether it's shallow seabed mining or deep sea mining. In terms of the deep sea mining campaign, we do have a focus on this first deep sea mining project, but we also engage with um, <clears throat> communities who are resisting against seabed mining in Namibia and New Zealand and you know, the moratorium, obviously, in the Northern Territory of Australia was a, was a fantastic win. Mm. Um, although it's a moratorium, so it could be overturned at any time. So I guess for Australians is to be informed and understand that this is a new frontier kind of extractive industry that's happening worldwide. Um, in, in terms of uh, our campaign, you can go to our website um, and there's lots of information there, which is www.deepseaminingoutofourdepth.org. Um, there's no specific actions currently, um, but our website, will there, if there are, they'll be on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I think we need to start having discussions about moving beyond sort of mineral dependency of this sort of ideology that we live in right now. Um, and as in a Western culture, our own consumption patterns mm-hmm. and how this impacts developing countries, particularly our neighbour Papua New Guinea. Lorena Morea, a teacher from the New Ireland province, and Nenisa Ibak have messages for the PNG government. 
my message to my brother Byron Chen, the honorable member for Namatanai and mining minister is, Mr. Chen, please do consider the people who voted for you. The very people of Namatanai, the ones living on the show, this is their lifestyle. We have a lot of mining already in Papua New Guinea, especially in New Island, Newcrest, Simberi, and now we have a new one down at Lavangai, and another one coming up, Tanga, and another one at uh, Susurunga. Why are you trying to build another mine again? What is our interest, the government? What are you trying to build? You're trying to build cashel in the air for yourself? or you're trying to service the people. Please stop and think. Ban the Solwara mine. It's not an important project. Already we have a lot of mine on the land. My message to Papua New Guinea government and the Natalus Minerals Company about the uh, proposed mining, the experimental civet mining, is that I would say that Papua New Guinea government like me, I'm expressing my consent to you that, you know, I'm a Papua New Guinean. This is my land. I have every right to make decision on my own land. And this is my land and this is my life. So I would uh, call for the government to ban this experimental seabed mining and the Natalus Minerals Papua New Guinea is not a testing ground. <laughs> and our ocean is not a science lab that you would want to con uh, conduct these experiments. We are lives. There are lives in the sea, in the ocean, so is the land. And I would say that, Natalus, can you just leave our land and go away? Go try it out on your own land and on your own seas. And this is our land. I do not want this unsustainable, unsustainable development, the experimental seabed mining to be conducted in our seas, in the Bismarck Sea, in Papua New Guinea, so, and so as the Pacific. That was Nenesa Ibak. We also heard from Lorena Morea, William Bartley, Sister Daisy Luciana and Natalie Lowry, Big thanks to Nat for the interviews and music recordings. You've heard the powerful sounds of the shark calling community from the closest village to Solwara 1, the Kaka Island women, the Kaka Island youth and a church service on the Duke of York Islands. To read up and follow the campaign, you can check out the website deepseaminingoutofourdepth.org and the Facebook page for the Alliance of the Solwara Warriors. This is Earth Matters. I'm Jem Ronald, and I produce this show on Gadigal and Darwell land in New South Wales for 3CR Radio in Melbourne. Thanks go to the wonderful Community Radio Network who get this show out nationally, and also to the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support. To contact us, email earthmatters3cr at gmail.com, Call up the station on 03-9419-8377 or find our Facebook page. If you missed part one of this mini-series or you want to check out our other podcasts, head online to 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Thanks for your ears and tune in again next week for another dose of Earth Matters. Oh, 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 oh.